Miss the show? No worries. On point and on the podcast. We'll talk about calls growing louder to boycott the Beijing Games with many convinced that tennis champion Peng Shua is being held hostage. And China and the IOC say they have proof she's okay, but China's known to force hostages to smile for the camera. Many in the international community accuse the IOC of trying to protect their own interests. So we'll talk to a human rights group that says a boycott of these games is the least we should be doing. We'll talk to the former AG of Waukesha, who is now helping a family whose three-year-old's fighting for his life after he was hit by a careening van driven by a man who many believe was a ticking time bomb and whose decades-long rap sheet should have been enough warning to those in charge that he should not have gotten bail last Friday. And we'll talk about those protests of a BC pipeline and the comments David Suzuki has made about bombing pipelines. We'll get a perspective from the Indigenous community and First Nation members who are speaking out say not only should his comments not be celebrated, they should be condemned because he doesn't speak for many First Nations groups that do want energy development in this country. Let's get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. I'm not predicting anything about the future, but I do learn from the past. And the past has proven that when you print money to pay your bills, you drive up the cost of living, you increase poverty and the wealth gap. And that is what exactly what has begun to happen. We have time to turn the ship around, but we have to start now. Today's speech should be the turning point. The government should announce an end to the inflation tax. The word inflation wasn't even mentioned today in the throne speech, which tells you Trudeau won't be focusing on that. The boat's going down. Alex Pearson with you on this Tuesday, November 23rd. Yes, it's the 23rd. i got to keep checking that. Got a very busy show today. Very busy show, in fact, today. Uh, I'll be speaking with the former Attorney General of Waukesha, Wisconsin, about the man now accused in the killing of dozens of children and the elderly. And um, the question a lot of people are asking is like, why was someone with his long, violent police record even out of jail? And um, another child has since died, sadly. And I think more will end up dying because the critical injuries are that bad. And so he can explain to us why this guy was let out of jail on Friday, despite many warnings he should not have been. We'll also talk about David Suzuki's comments, and uh, he's opened a bit of a Pandora's box on this one, certainly with First Nations groups who are now pushing back, saying this should not be celebrated, and the comments, in fact, should be condemned. And they also, um, and we'll be speaking at 8 o'clock with one Indigenous um, group that says, look, they don't, these climate protesters don't speak for them, and they feel exploited because they do want energy development. So contrary to the popular narrative, many First Nations groups do want energy development. So we'll tackle that in uh, at 8 o'clock. But let's start with how the pl- you know, Liberals plan to um, lead, maybe, not the right word, I don't know, take this country through these challenging times. Um, because despite warnings, you know, not to keep spending, it looks like the Liberals are just buying bigger shovels and uh, digging a much bigger hole. But what I really heard today was... Platitude, 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 climate, 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 build back better. That's that's literally what I heard. Climate, 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 climate. That's all I heard. And the throne speech, which, of course, most Canadians will understandably ignore, is really supposed to be about what the government of the day is going to focus on moving forward. And what we got today 
Well, we got a warning, the earth is in danger, which, okay, it explains why we heard the word climate in every sentence. But just last week, the banks had warned the Trudeau government that they could not go forward with their big multi-billion dollar spending promises made during the election, that we will get into very big trouble if the Trudeau's new agenda isn't reflecting the current situation, which has changed a lot since the last election. And instead, what we get is a speech void of any detail, any actual substance. I mean, the word inflation, the word inflation was not used once, not one time did I hear the word inflation or labor shortage or energy, nothing, nothing. There was just no detail on how Mr. Trudeau plans to keep it in check or make cost of living affordable for these middle class families he claims to care about. I mean, that's why it was pretty quick for the opposition to jump on him. There's nothing in the phone speech that deals with inflation, the cost of living crisis, the national unity crisis. There's no plan to get people working. So I want Canadians to take one thing from this throne speech. To the millions of Canadians being left behind, we're going to be their voice on the economy. We've heard nothing from this government. Zilch. Zero. So no surprise to anyone, uh, Aaron O'Toole said his party will not su- you know, support the speech. Okay, shock of nothing. There was no shock there. But there was nothing in the speech to give us details on any of these big challenges. And we have to deal with them. I mean, what's kind of signaled to me in the speech today is that the government's out of touch with what everyday Canadians are actually worried right now about, which, according to polling done by Ipsos, which was done for Global News, it lays out a very clear picture that the top five issues keeping Canadians awake right now is cost of living and affordability and, yes, inflation. Nowhere in the polling, which we'll talk to Daryl Bricker about in just a few minutes, nowhere in the polling does it show Canadians are worried about climate or reconciliation. Right now, they're worried about, are you going to get us through this? Am I going to be able to afford to pay my bills? And we heard about climate. And sure, housing and childcare was mentioned, but these are all multi-billion dollar spending plans that uh, we can't really afford right now. And plus, we got no details. I mean... They're planning on building the economy, if I understand this right, by building housing. But again, we have no details on where the supply will come from, where it will be built, when it's going to be available. And then, of course, they like to talk about child care, you know, $10 child care that will never be $10 in the province of Ontario. But it'll also only help those who work weekdays 9 to 5. So there's a whole huge population of shift workers that will not benefit from it. Plus, it doesn't come in until 2026. And so, again, no surprise on these big issues. Uh, Jagmeet Singh came out today and said, look, they didn't even have pharmacare in this, nothing. So it's hard to know what the government's planning to do. But we do expect an idea of where this government's going. So they're saying one thing outside of the throne speech, but in the speech itself, it doesn't lay out a similar vision. So it leaves me and leaves Canadians wondering what is their real goal? What is, what is their priority? What are their priorities? And so without having laid out some of those things, it, it raises those legitimate questions. Maybe it is not important to them. And we've often said the Liberals say one thing and do another. And in this case, they've said one thing and then said another. Instead of saying one thing and doing another, they've just said things that, that don't align. So it leaves us wondering if they're really interested in doing the things that Canadians need them to do. He also said, um, Jagmeet Singh, that Canadians should not, I mean, he'll support this. The NDP always support these, these things. They're not going to vote him down. But he did make a point of saying Trudeau shouldn't take his party support as secured. And the bloc was more tepid in promising support. <laughs> but as he's always kind of funny with his 
um, you know, sayings. He said the speech could have basically been written by a college kid. Supporting might not be the best word. We will live with this empty piece of paper, gently read in three languages. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, Trudeau's going to get a chance to govern. He will not be brought down next week or in the 19 days that they'll work before they go back on break. Because no one can afford to go to another election, and certainly there's no appetite in this country to go back to the polls. But... You know, there's going to be a lot of Canadians who are going to be left wondering, you know, is this government going to park its ideology and does it have a firm grip on what actually needs to be done to keep inflation in check? And of course, in the speech, Trudeau makes claims that Canadians do, Canada is doing better than all other G20 nations. Well, that is just not true. It's just not true. Our economy shrank. We're the only country that shrank. Other economies grew. The U.S. economy grew by 7%. And yes, all countries are dealing with inflation and supply chain issues, but Canada's inflation is being aggravated by just this never-ending spending that Trudeau uh, clearly has no plans to stop. But again, what about the labor issues? What about the shortages? That didn't come up. Energy concerns were ignored. I mean, are we going to have a plan to protect this country from the protectionist president that is openly threatening to crush our electric car dreams? All these things hit our economy and hurt the everyday Canadian that really right now just want some stability and direction. I mean, the only thing to me that was loud and clear was the silence on resource development, which I think speaks volumes. Because we get all this never-ending talk on climate, and, and what that says is it's pretty clear that Trudeau has zero plans to develop any energy in this country, which is a real shame because not only could he get reconciliation with a lot of First Nations groups by doing that, but he could also pay for all the tens of billions he plans to spend and he knows we can't afford. Glad to have you along on this show. Uh, no secret. I mean, the calls are growing louder to boycott the Beijing Games, with many convinced that tennis champion Peng Shui is being held hostage. And the Chinese government won't admit this and have released pictures of her with her friends, some video. But without a date on these photos to confirm when it was taken, why should we buy it? And then you've also got the IOC attempting to convince the international community that it too spoke to the woman on a video call that, you know, no one has really seen. So there is skepticism globally on the status of this tennis star who disappeared and whose social media accounts vanished after she made allegations of sex assault against one of the highest ranking government officials in China last month. And let's look at this thing. Both China and the IOC are desperate for this story to go away which of course has many activists and critics of China suggesting that the IOC is even being complicit in China's whitewashing of these events. I wanna bring Yacho Wang into the conversation, a senior researcher for Human Rights Watch. Good to have you. Thank you so much for having me. The IOC says this woman is safe. A lot of people are not buying it. In fact, they go as far as accusing the IOC of being complicit. And it wouldn't be out of the realm for China to force this woman to pose for pictures and other things as other hostages have been forced to do. Would I be correct in that? Absolutely. I was not assured, reassured by the IOC statement and a still photo showing a happy, smiling Peng Shui. So because this has happened to many people before, uh, you know, whether they are human rights lawyers, journalists, writers, or celebrities, movie stars, billionaires, they said something the Chinese government doesn't like, 
then they were disappeared by the government. Then weeks or months later, they re-emerged on some videos saying, hey, everyone, I was doing good. I was, you know, resting. Or, you know, in some cases they said, oh, I confess to the crimes I made. I defamed my country. So this, you know, the Peng Shui case so far is, you know, it's being carried out in, you know, in a very similar fashion. I mean, she made allegations and she went, she went silent and then, you know, anything she said, discussions about her case were censored on the internet. Now she reappeared uh, on some, you know, videos uh, managed by the Chinese state media. And so what's your feeling on what has happened to you? Do you believe that she is maybe like the two Michaels where she's being held somewhere out of the, you know, public eye? Or do you believe she's in a labor camp or do you, like, what should we be taking away from this? You know, I don't think, you know, she's in a labor camp or, you know, detaining some dungeon, uh, you know, but I, I think, you know, she's, her movement, her speech uh, are heavily surveilled and controlled by the, uh, by the government. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so far, there are videos of her appearing at some events, you know, in her home, uh, you know, but we have not heard from her directly. What's missing in the whole thing is her own voice. Right. And, and I think you make a very good point of this. And then you've got um, people like Ennis Cantor, the Boston Celtic basketball player who has been very, very open in condemning China in uh, a calling for an international boycott, not just of diplomats. He, he wants a complete athletic boycott. And, and yeah, true. There, there have been many suggesting, like, why are we going and participating in these games, given the human rights violations against the Uyghur Muslims, given the treatment of Hong Kong and the fact that China is clearly trying to exert its uh, power over not just Hong Kong, but now Taiwan is in its threats. Why would we support a country that, you know, kidnapped two Michaels and, and held them for, for thousands of days? I mean, why isn't the international uh, community um, pulling together to stand up to this regime? That's a good question. And I wish there were more pressure on that. Uh, Human Rights Watch stance on the Beijing Olympics is that we advocate for a diplomatic boycott. You know, we think athletes work so hard to prepare for this event. Sometimes it's, you know, it's once in, in their life. And they the athletes didn't choose uh, the Olympics to be held in Beijing. They have no say, no power in this. So athletes mm-hmm. can go, but, you know, anyone else like diplomats, international dignitaries, celebrities, should refrain from, you know, going to the event or because it lends legitimacy to the Chinese government's human rights violations. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I wish to see more government coming up saying, you know, this is what's happening in, uh, in China, in Xinjiang, uh, cannot be tolerated. And, you know, as a government, we don't want it to be part of that event. Right. I mean, this tennis player, Peng, she is the face of this issue right now, but certainly this issue has been going on for a very, very long time. And I'm glad to see people are talking about it. But just alone uh, on the forced, uh, you know, labor and, um, you know, the erasing of, of the Uyghur Muslims, we should be taking a stance against China and all the other um, national security threats. I mean, the list is very long on reasons of why we should be standing up to China. And yet people kind of see a celebrity in the headlines and it starts to get attention. But again, we need action in, in order to stop China. Do you see that action coming? 
I mean, what does a diplomatic, I mean, it might embarrass China a little bit, but a diplomatic boycott, mm, I don't think it really will solve much. Well, I mean, I would frame it a little bit differently. I would say, you okay. know, taking a step against China, it's against mm-hmm. the Chinese government, because I talk to human rights activists in China, you know, women's rights activists in China all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, to them, it's, you know, they are with human rights. I mean, that, you know, that concerns millions, uh, hundreds of millions of people. So, you know, they are against the Chinese government themselves. So I would frame it a little bit differently. But I mean, overall, I agree with you, you know, Mm-hmm. Does the diplomatic boycott really matter that much? Especially the Chinese government is already, you know, limiting who can go because of COVID, right? So I mean, beyond the, you know, the boy, the diplomatic boycott, there's many more things we could do. You know, targeted sanctions against mm-hmm. Chinese government officials who are complicit in the violations in Xinjiang, in Hong Kong, and also target sanctions against Chinese companies who are, uh, you know, participate in the abuses in China, you know, the Chinese companies, they're doing business around the world and their leverages we can hold to, you know, to punish their, uh, the, this, the, the abuses they are complicit in China. And how concerned should people be about, um, you know, heading over to Beijing or, you know, taking in the games or as an athlete going to these games? I mean, the bottom line is, if you have been critical of China, they watch what people say, no matter what country you're from. And there is a risk, I think, um, to those who have spoken out against China that something could happen to them. Absolutely. I mean, my colleagues talking to athletes, some, you know, Olympic Olympic athletes, they were concerned, you know, uh, what happened to Peng Shui or to, to Michaels could happen to me. Some people mm-hmm. might, you know, in the past, they said some, something, you know, criticizing the Chinese government, government, and maybe this will come up back to them when they are in Beijing, right? And even, you know, for the two Michaels, they have done nothing. They just mm-hmm. were, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time. So they were absolutely concern, concerned. And so just, uh, yeah, Cho, what has to happen now? I mean, we're three months away from the games, but this young tennis player, you know, we need to see her in person holding up a newspaper, somehow confirming that she is okay. Where do the calls go now um, And from the international community? I mean, the U.S. has called for, for an investigation. Britain has asked for an investigation. Canada, as usual, is silent on this issue. But where do you see this going um, you know, in the coming weeks, you know, because I, I don't get the sense that there's anyone buying this or they shouldn't be buying that this woman is, you know, in a picture, so she must be fine. But where do you see this going and, and how it will escalate? Well, I really wish that, uh, you know, if Peng Shui wants to leave the country, they let her go. Uh, I mean, this be, being physically in China always, uh, you know, uh, means some kind of risks because just given the un- unaccountable power of the Chinese Communist mm-hmm. Party. But even, you know, even if she leaves China, you know, Human Rights Watch has documented many cases where the Chinese government using the family and friends of sure. activists as a leverage uh, to silence even those actors left to China. So even yeah, there yeah. are always risks associated with that. But I think being outside of China would make it better. I mean, even if she chose to leave it, to, you know, stay inside China, right? I mean, for obvious reasons, she's family and friends, the entire life is in China. I mean, at least the Chinese government, 
you know, should allow her to speak directly with her fans, with the international media. Uh, you know, that I would think prove some degree of freedom she is enjoying. I mean, I, I'm a, you know, a human rights advocate from outside of China. What my job is to, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep the attention on her, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm on this, on your show is to, to, you know, to, as part of my job to have the attention on her. The more attention we have on her, the more pressure we can exert. I think it's, 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 it's a good thing, you know, it keeps her safe to a better degree than when there's no attention. Yeah, and, and we've heard stories of Canadian Hong Kongers who fleed, uh, fled the country during the protest. You know, they're being harassed here in, in this country um, and threatened. And so, it, you know, this doesn't just happen in China. There are people here and operatives in this country who very much are loyal to the motherland. Just before I let you go, Yasho, um, the allegations she makes are against one of the highest ranking Chinese officials. Uh, where does that go? I mean, does does, does that just kind of get brushed aside, um, you know, get her out of the country or or can there be any kind of investigation into this allegation? Well, I do. I mean, my job is to call for the, you know, the investigation of the allegation, especially the IOC. IOC, uh, uh, you know, if you check its website, it says, you know, we support athletes, uh, you know, we condemn any kind of uh, harms and abuses of athletes, then do what do you say. Uh, I mean, we should keep put pressure on the IOC. While yeah. I feel you know, the investigation probably is unlikely, but, uh, you know, what we need to do is to keep the pressure on. Absolutely. Happy to do that with you. Thank you so much, Yacho, for your time. I very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yacho Wang is a senior researcher for Human Rights Watch. So we'll continue watching this story because trust me, there is plenty to see. Great to have you here on this Tuesday. So the man accused in that mass carnage of kids and elderly people at a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, made his first court appearance late today, where he has now been formally charged with multiple murder charges, including intentional homicide. And Daryl Brooks is well known to cops. His rap sheet is long, goes back decades, including many violent crimes, including reckless homicide, several domestics, including uh, one charge where he attempted to run over a woman who he had a child with. So many are rightfully asking that with a history of violent crime, why would this man even be granted bail, which he got on Friday? Paul Booker is Waukesha County District Attorney. Formerly, he's now a lawyer representing uh, and helping out a family of one child who is still fighting for his life. He joins us now. Good to have you, Paul. And good to have you. Just a couple of things. He's not been convicted of reckless homicide. He's got a long history, but he has no homicide convictions. But I'm glad to get into But he does have charges, as I understand. Oh, this is a walking textbook, the yeah. criminal statute. So in addition, tragically, I have to inform you that another child just died. So mm-hmm. uh, there will be another count of intentional homicide tacked on. Probably after uh, next week, you know, next week. So it'll be six counts of intentional homicide. And uh, there still are uh, quite a few young children uh, in ICU fighting for their life. So we're just hoping that that doesn't go up. Yeah, I mean, uh, we knew that there were many young children that are, are in serious, if not critical condition. Those numbers can change. It's just uh, when you hear it, it's a real punch in the gut because... 
you know, who who runs their car into a Christmas parade? You know, we 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 think to ourselves in this day and age. Uh, what was his um, what was his appearance like in court today? Did he you know acknowledge anybody? Did he? What was his body language like? Uh, his head was uh, he's in a suicide uh, garment, uh, which is probably pretty standard for cases like this. Um, and he sat his head down the entire time. He's represented by two uh, assistant public defenders, and he was just rocking back and forth. He didn't uh, give any audible responses. The government went through his lengthy record, um, which is uh, it's just hard to you know describe that this person seems like when he came out of the womb, he began committing crimes. And the most serious, of course, being the two felony cases still pending in Milwaukee County, which is adjacent mm-hmm. to Waukesha County. And that's where yeah. he uh, had the bail set. So he didn't say anything, no audible responses. They just walked him out of the courtroom and uh, they set the case down for what's called a preliminary hearing, which is uh, just basically a, uh, he, I'm quite sure he'll give that up, but that's just a hearing where the government has to produce some evidence to show that he likely committed a felony, which is pretty much a, a given in this case, even though he is presumed innocent. Yeah, and that's standard here as well. But I, I have to think, you know, given his long record, given the fact that he had bail on Friday, given the fact that he was known to be a bail jumper, there have to be a, uh, like this turning point where shock and grief turns into a whole lot of anger with people rightfully asking, you know, why would a guy like this get bail to begin with? And I think that's going to occur in my uh, 30 plus years as a prosecutor. When I dealt with homicide cases, it seems like uh, shock and disbelief is the first reaction of families when the family member is killed. Uh, And then that eventually, as I have seen, turns into anger. And then in some cases turns into forgiveness, not in all cases. And it can go in any type of, uh, one, two, or three. It could be anger, then forgiveness, and then disbelief. But uh, in this case, uh, the families and are shocked. And of course, the entire community here is shocked. This is relatively, uh, I mean, seventy thousand people. It's not a small little town, but yeah. still a small. It's a still a small city. And uh, you know, right now the discussion is how could this animal be out on uh, bail? And the uh, the answer is is long and diff and legally complicated, but he was mm-hmm. in custody in Milwaukee County on $10,000 cash bail, believe it or not. And because he asked for a speedy trial and due to court congestion, the court could give him a speedy trial within 90 days. So the court said bail from 10000 to 500 And of course, he posted that immediately and then was arrested again on a new case and bail was set inappropriately, according to the DA in Milwaukee County himself at a thousand cash, which was shocking. So uh, he should have never been out. He should have never been in Waukesha. And in answer to your question, I I can't imagine why anybody would do this. All you can do is guess and speculate. Yeah. Um, And, 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 you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll get, um, you know, lawsuits and charges, all the rest of it. But in this kind of case, you know, where there's still so many developments to come, I mean, these families, many of them, if their loved ones survive, as we saw in the cases in Toronto where a van you know, ran, was aiming at people down Young Street in 2018, a lot of those who survived ended up having injuries for the rest of their life. I mean, it altered their life you know, forever. And so these families, if their loved ones survive, a lot of them are going to be dealing with um, issues and, and injuries that will forever alter their lives. I mean, th- these things don't just end. 
uh, when the headline, right. headlines fade. I agree. And so when they say that uh, 40, 50 people were injured, everybody sort of thinks that's oh, okay. They were just, you know, maybe their foot got mm-hmm. run over or something. That's not true. Um, the one family that I'm involved with, he has, you know, torn lower intestine near the stomach. Um, he can't walk, can't eat. Others have um, broken uh, spines, broken legs that will become, they will become disabled their entire life. The whole family will be impacted, um, their employment, everything. It's just for the entire, for their entire life. And these are young kids. So just being injured is a term that's thrown around, but it's a lifelong disability uh, in many cases, not all, but in many cases. So uh, in addition to now six homicides, although one hasn't been charged, but it will be, uh, we're just hoping that it stays at the, stays at six and the ones that are seriously injured are able to recover to some degree and live some some semblance of a normal life with a lot of help from the family and the community yeah no question they're going to need it and uh you know it's hard to think that this will not change that community forever i mean uh you know who's going to feel safe going to the christmas party i mean there's just so many things that this is altering uh, not just for those directly impacted really for the community at large Oh, absolutely. I don't know if there'll be another uh, Waukesha parade. And I've been in that parade a dozen times because I was a district attorney and, you know, you're an elected official and you march in these parades and you do the hand wave and with my kids. Uh, so uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if there'll be another parade. Certainly if there is, it'll be changed. Uh, and I'm mm-hmm. sure and I've already heard that many other communities that are planning these types of events because of the copycats will be taking steps. Staying, I think they'd be tone deaf if they didn't. Um, to mm-hmm. block those streets with pickup trucks, uh, sand, you know, the sand spreaders loaded with dirt, loaded, loaded with sand, cement blockades to try to block that. So it really has pushed us as a society, uh, be honest with you, um, beyond where I ever thought we would be. Um, after 9-11, I never yeah. thought it could get worse. And it just always seems to get worse, at least in the United States. Yeah, well, we certainly have our issues here, and certainly we have, uh, anytime a big gathering happens, we have the garbage trucks and all the rest of it that have to block off the intersections. It is sadly the new norm, but for the people of uh, Waukesha, it is just the start. Paul, I very much appreciate your time uh, weighing in and joining us here tonight. We wish our very uh, best condolences and thoughts to all the families, and certainly uh, the one that you represent tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is uh, Paul Booker, who is the former district attorney for Waukesha, so he knows of what he speaks. And certainly this is just the start of a very, very long process for all of those involved. We're in deep, deep doo-doo, and they've been telling us, the leading experts, for over 40 years. This is what we're come to. The next stage after this is there are going to be pipelines blown up if our leaders don't pay attention to what's going on. All righty. Well, that is David Suzuki threatening to incite violence against this country. If those in charge don't do more for climate change and then uh, the organization he represents was like, oh, no, he's not talking for us. We didn't say that. Nope, not us. Nonetheless, um, the latest demand environmentalists want is to stop the ghost, uh, coastal gas link pipeline in BC. Now, this is a pipeline that has broad consent of more than 20 reserves along the route, including what's wetten, which is one of the groups these protesters say is against it. And I think, you know, the popular narrative always is, predictably, that First Nations groups are against all energy development. And that is just simply not true. And yet we've got environmental protesters blocking access to the only road in this very remote area, 
which is now trapping workers inside. There's as many as 500 workers who, you know, haven't been able to get access to food and water. So Suzuki's comments are just reckless, but they don't speak for many in First Nations communities. Um, and they want these comments condemned and, of course, are pushing back, accusing many of these protesters that they're not Indigenous. Hell, they're not even from this country. So they're not speaking for them. Chris Sankey is a senior fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute, also is, uh, with a, is a First Nations Coast Simshian Indigenous Canadian entrepreneur and an advocate and involved in the energy sector. I'm sorry, Chris, if I got the name wrong. You'll have to forgive no me. No problem. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> Chris, let me um, get your response. Um, you know, when you see a, a David Suzuki making such a, a, a reckless statement, you say what? Well, look, I, uh, first of all, I, I, as I said previously in my other interviews, uh, that it, it, it is reckless. I'm not denying that. Uh, I don't think David Suzuki uh, is trying to incite violence, but uh, a, a person of his stature has to be super careful of what he says. Uh, I was saying earlier that uh, a young uh, student that's going to school here in British Columbia or across the country is going to take those words as face value. Mm -hmm. And as we've seen uh, with Watudin, um, the PNW days, uh, the Pachida, uh, CGL, all of that, um, people have literally taken words from very prominent leaders at face value, and it has resulted in violence. And yeah. it, it's unacceptable. Um, look, David Suzuki has a grandchild out in Haida Gwaii. Uh, I, I, I'd like to think that what he said uh, wasn't to incite violence. I think what he is saying is that he feels that the government and the country isn't reacting to climate change as quick as we should. But I think he falls short in that statement because I believe we are. And I mean, we're only we, we are 1.6 percent of the total global emissions and our energy sector continues to just surprise me. They continue to be the leaders in the world of reducing GHG. Uh, in fact, I, I believe our industry is 10 years ahead of the narrative. Yeah, except for the narrative is, um, you know, silencing the facts. And, you know, you, you wrote a comment um, and I, I got a lot of attention, obviously, on Twitter. But you, you say pretty bluntly that these protesters are deliberately humiliating your people and weaponizing our history by dividing our communities. And then you cite their lack of knowledge about the hereditary systems and protocols and are disrespecting them because... They have divided the hereditary and the elected leaders. A lot of people don't really understand. It's very, very confusing, um, you know, to, to the average Canadian who don't know much about this. But uh, you mince no words. No, look, uh, they are. They, they, they don't understand, first of all, the history behind uh, the hereditary system. Um, let's be honest here. You know, it's been 160 years under this uh, uh, this this current government. So when we're trying to get back to uh, understanding how our hereditary system works, even our own people are, are wanting to make sure they do this right. And uh, when you have uh, these young non-Indigenous people uh, coming out of high school or, or, or at university or, or, or elsewhere, trying to tell us or trying to tell me as a former elected official that they know more about the hereditary system and protocols than I do, it's absolutely ludicrous. And so when they're out there using our cedar hats and when they're out there parading around using our drums, I, I've seen a ton of non-Indigenous people drumming our drums and, and they make it perceived that our communities are fully against uh, responsible resource development when that is not true. 
So what that does, though, is that takes our voices out of the equation. Mm-hmm. And, and it's perceived that we are against every one of us in this country is against responsible resource development. That is simply not true. And a lot of this is orchestrated by outside influence interest groups outside of British Columbia, outside of Canada, and collaborating with uh, these activists here in, in, in Canada itself. I mean, it's just crazy what, what we've allowed to happen in this country. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, uh, there's some interesting pictures you know, of these protesters. and They're keeping warm by burning natural gas. They've got a line of natural gas to heat up their hands in that. And I think, oh, really? So they're against fossil fuels until you need fossil fuels to keep warm, which is just speaks volumes about the, the misunderstandings uh, or their ignorance. But, you know, uh, a lot of people will look at this and they see this, Chris, as a noble fight. It's, you know, it's very misleading. Uh, it, look, it's no secret. 20 of the First Nations, our First Nations, one of them. Lakakulams is one of them that signed on to that agreement. And so we, we were all in support of it. There was proper consultation done. Uh, there was proper consultation done in every community. Not everybody's going to be happy with the, the, the consultation, but people, the Canadians understand what free prior informed consent means. And, and, I, and even our own people misunderstand it. What it means that a free prior informed consent means that if I'm negotiating 10 things that I want for my community and I get seven or six of them and I am satisfied with the process to which was held by industry Uh, across from the table and even though I may not have won 100% of them I am satisfied and therefore give free prior informed consent to proceed forward even though I may have not gotten everything I wanted but satisfied with the end result that's free prior informed consent it is not a veto it's not we're going to get 100% of everything this is our land we deserve all this that that that's not how this works uh, and so our people in broader Canada need to understand that what free prior informed consent means. It's satisfactory. You are satisfied with the process to get to the end result that benefits back to the community. That's yeah, and it's a, yeah, and again, you get some activists, they tend to take all the oxygen in the room and get all the attention, but they do not speak for all First Nations groups. And it's interesting, having watched the Stone speech where reconciliation uh, and climate were words used over and over and over again. A big part of reconciliation, though, Chris, is giving financial independence um, to First Nations group in the development of energy, um, which the world needs and we have an abundance of and would lift a lot of these, uh, would lift all of these um, First Nation communities out of poverty. Why doesn't that argument ever seem to break through to those who are protesting and or other Canadians? Well, <laughs> It, you're, it is very frustrating, Alex. I, uh, I mean, we have the cleanest product in the world when it comes to this industry, uh, hands down. I know that. Um, mm-hmm. And but for some reason, mainstream media is not getting to individuals like myself. They're, they are slowly. But um, it, it's really sad because what's happened is these uh, foreign interest groups, people not from Canada, latch on to a a faction of individuals who oppose the project, which is a select few. And what they do is they got so many, so many resources behind them in terms of dollars and the nor and the wherewithal to understand of how to attack the media with a false, uh, a a false narrative and they get it out there and they're very good at it. They're very well oiled. When you, 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 (laughs) yeah, 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 literally. And it, and it, and it's, it's, it's just crazy. I, I see these camps and they got, 
uh, they're using rubber gear, boots, raincoats, uh, tents, and they're starting fires with gasoline and they got a chainsaw and they're driving up with their pickup trucks or their bikes. And it's all petroleum products. And mm -hmm. it, it's like, it's crazy when you have a bunch of petroleum made uh, kayaks going out to try protest a tanker ship. Um, but it, it, but listen, it, unfortunately, as a, as a country, we have done a terrible job of, of monitoring what has happened. We've allowed this to take place for the last 15 to 20 years. And we thought common sense was going to prevail. I'm guilty yeah. as, as well as uh, actually buying into this notion that somehow oil and gas was bad. And it wasn't until like about 15 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, I started to inform and educate myself. And when I worked up in the oil sands, uh, and, and it did wonders for me. And today it still does. I've been able to provide my children with a life I've only ever dreamed about. Yeah. And pe people, I think, for the most part in this country, in particular our communities, we need to do a better job of getting them to understand energy literature. And yeah. they, th they think this is just about burning fossil fuels uh, in a refinery or at a site and that's just going to help power up our trucks they don't understand that energy consumes everything that we do from the moment we wake up to the moment yeah. we go to bed and from the moment we die uh it's in everything that we do from our clothing from medical supplies for medical uh um um um, medicines and mm -hmm. as well as our shoes our coats our cell phones our computers uh, everything in our household is all consumed by energy made from petroleum products or minerals and so when people think we're going to get off this uh off fossil fuels in the next the next 10 years that's there's not that's not happening uh according, no, it is not. Yeah. no according to the international energy agency uh by year 2040 regardless of the increase of wind and solar use by 2040 the global investment will have to be about $20 trillion invested back into the oil and gas sector to meet demand as it is today. It, mm -hmm. it stays relatively the same. <clears throat> so, excuse me. And so when people think we're getting off this anytime soon, well, show me another product in this world, a, a fuel that's going to do what we're doing right now. And the yeah. reason nobody could answer that is because there aren't any. Exactly. And now, now there is cleaner fuels out there in terms of how we power up a jet and how we power up our cars. And I get all that, but they're forgetting the fact that we have a three major giants in the, in the, in North America called uh, Walmart, Amazon, Canadian tire, and all these other big box stores that spend billions on delivering products that require fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. And and so I think what people are misunderstanding here is when we talk about trying to reduce emissions, doesn't mean that we're going to reduce uh, the, the, the development. Footprint. Yeah, yeah, we're not yeah. going to develop the carbon footprint, and it doesn't mean that we're going to uh, stop drilling. Yeah, uh, it's, it's nonsense. And these and these activists that have come into Canada, they've stolen our voices. They have made a mockery of our communities. They've gotten the middle of our hereditary and elected leaders. And it's, it's for me, I, I'm offended yeah. because as, as a governing body in our community, Alex, um, we were responsible from everything from the kitchen sink to making multi-billion dollar uh, decisions based on the best available information. Uh, yeah. Are we perfect? No, far from it. Uh, do we, can we use improvement? Absolutely, like everybody else, just as our editor system. But these individuals, 
that have come into this country. Uh, some of them are they're, they're teaching in our universities now. Uh, they're getting into high-profile uh, positions. They have a, a number of uh, uh, positions where they, they have a great amount of influence on policy development. And this needs to stop because they're coming yeah. with an agenda. Meanwhile, south of the border, they, they keep doing what they're doing. And Russia, yeah. uh, everywhere else, they just keep pumping. And, yeah. if you, and if you know, uh, Norway just uh, six months ago opened up a new oil rig, rig pad. So, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, no. We're here. We are yeah. by far the dumbest, dumbest of the countries in the world on this. Yeah. Chris, I'm up against the clock on this. I very yeah. much appreciate having you on, and we'll continue having the conversation because clearly there's one to be had. Yeah, thank you for uh, being patient. I am a bit tired here. I got some more coming up, so. But I hear you. you. I hear uh, Chris. Uh, thank you. That's Chris Sankey. He's with the McDonald Laurier Institute, also speaking on behalf of the energy sector. Thanks for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday, starting six thirty sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. Would love to have you on point here on Global News Radio.